That's the key. That's the key is it's now a choice. I've given myself back my power. Mm. And um, some of the research I've done around, um, you know, narrative psychology is that the people who tend to move past their self-limiting stories um, find ways of giving themselves what they call agency. Mm -hmm. In other words, the feeling of personal power and that you have some control over your life and you have choice. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast, Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Prebo Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Relationships. Let's talk about it. And on this episode, the stories we tell ourselves, do you dare to change yours? I have a conversation with a returning guest and a very, very good friend of mine, Greg Lavoy. Many of you know Greg. He has been a guest on about maybe eight or nine of my past podcasts. He is a author and lecturer and seminar leader in the business, educational, governmental, and faith-based and human potential arenas. And he is the author of Vital Signs, The Nature and Nurture of Passion, published by Penguin, and also Callings, Finding and Following an Authentic Life, published by Random House. Greg is also a former behavioral specialist at USA Today and a regular blogger for Psychology Today. So on this conversation, we talk about the stories that we tell ourselves. And we all know that there are many of them, right? Yeah, you know, you see what we tell ourselves is important. I can't do that thing turns into I won't because I truly believe I can't. I don't like that turns into I won't try because I don't even like though I, even though I never explored it. And you know, if you're not careful, you can easily talk your way out of a beautiful life, an adventurous life in business or other types of experiences. And the stories that happen about us inside our head are one thing, but what about the stories that we tell ourselves about others? So Greg and I, we take an adventure on our own stories that we tell ourselves and we tell stories about those stories in our life. So I hope that gives you some juice to look at what stories are you telling yourself and are they limiting? Have they changed? Are they very different from 20 years ago or are you wedded into those stories and do you dare to change them? All right, here we go. The story we tell ourselves. Let's talk about it. All right. So here we go, man. Another one that I love to do our sharing of our conversations that we have. And you had a good one. You had a great idea of the the stories that we tell ourselves and how that not only affects the way that we show up in the world, but also I was thinking about the story that we tell ourselves about our partner or other people or the story that we tell ourselves about how we deal with other people. So, mm. so what, uh, what juiced you for wanting to, wanting to write about it and, and talk about it? Yeah. Well, this last couple of years, seems like it's been a couple of years of really scrutinizing the stories that I'm telling myself. And it started with uh, moving to Santa Cruz, California from Asheville. And so let me just kind of give you the little scenario here of why that struck me. 
Um, so as you know, uh, two, two and a half years ago, I moved uh, out to the West Coast. I'm and still I recovering. Just, I'm still recovering from that campaign <laughs> yeah. of separation. <laughs> yeah. Separation anxiety. Exactly. Um, but I, you know, I uh, spent, as you know, a, a year, what a friend of mine calls dating cities. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of them was Santa Cruz. And when I told uh, the, what complicated the choice of considering Santa Cruz was the simple fact that my twin brother lives there. And so um, moving to his town, and he's lived there for 40 years, mm. would kind of run afoul of our long-standing policy that there ain't no town big enough for the two of us. Mm. Um and in other words, we need our own turf. And in fact, haven't lived in the same town since we were teenagers. Um, but it also struck me that considering moving into the same town as him would make my mother turn over in her grave uh, because she's the one who instilled this taboo in us by her insistence. I mean, from the day we were born, that we were going to have independent identities. So... I know I've shared some of this with you, but we had, you know, none of this Ron and Don stuff, you know, or my dad used to call it Pete and repeat. <laughs> and if we'd have been girls, it would have been Kate and duplicate. <laughs> but we had separate bedrooms. We were put into separate classrooms in school. We had to take up different instruments, different hobbies. We went to separate summer camps. We even went to different bus stops. Jeez. I know. My mother was determined. And um, so when I first mentioned to Ross that I was thinking about, you know, moving to Santa Cruz and mentioned the taboo, uh, he just shrugged it off. He said, ah, 15 years ago, uh, you know, I would have agreed, but I'm over it. Mm. And I wasn't entirely sure, but what clinched it was during my one-month exploratory trip to Santa Cruz. One day, I went into the grocery store around the corner from where Ross lives. Uh, it's the one he frequents. And I end up at the checkout counter, and the um, cashier says, do you want a receipt with that? And I said, yes. And then she she cocks her head, and she says, really? You never want a receipt. And so then I get to, um, uh, to go into this routine that I'm incredibly familiar with from all the years of visiting Ross, which is I say, okay, so I'm not who you think I am. I'm his twin brother. And his, no, I'm, I'm not pulling old, your leg. Older brother. <laughs> yes, his <laughs> older brother by 13 all important minutes. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm the twin who always wants a receipt. So literally later that day, Ross goes in to the same grocery store, same checkout line, same cashier. And she says, I saw your other half today. And, you know, not realizing what a loaded comment that is for a twin. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, that night, Prepo, Ross had the first of a number of nightmares about the prospect of me moving to Santa Cruz. And he, I mean, he said they had, he was having dreams of avalanches and mudslides and uh, literally a T-Rex tearing up the town of Santa Cruz. So it turned out he wasn't over it. <laughs> and, um, and I really started thinking about that because it, it's not surprising that he wouldn't be over it. This ain't no town big enough for the two of us story is one of our longest standing stories of our life together. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to just edit that out <laughs> without yeah. some, you know, backlash. Right. And uh, so I started looking at what other stories are going on in my life that, um, maybe bear some some challenges because we really had to work through the story to get to a place where we were comfortable moving into the same town together. Um, and we really had to deconstruct it. We had to talk about our our 
expectations, our fears, um, you know, even our dreams mm. and really had to kind of drill down into that story and look at, was this serving us anymore? I mean, it did when we were kids, certainly served my mom, but it served us, but not anymore. We're not just bigger versions of the way we were. We're grownups. And so suddenly I realized here's a story that maybe once upon a time worked or had truth to it, but no longer. And I want to move to this town. I love it here. And I've got family here and et cetera, et cetera. And this taboo was going to get in the way of me uh, really essentially growing and evolving in the way that I wanted to. Um, and then I, I just started looking at what other stories, what am I telling myself? You know, like the pandemic hit the fan and I had to confront the story that I'm a high touch, low tech presenter, and I don't do webinars. Mm. And the pandemic cured me of that storyline, which I'd had for a decade. Um, I had a story my entire life that I'm a lone wolf. And I've really been confronting that in moving to a new town where I have to create community for myself from scratch. Um, and I'm finding I'm not so much a lone wolf anymore and really having to deconstruct that one. Um, I've had to get over the, the story of, I don't cook, I thaw, <laughs> which is kind of one of my jokes, but it's a storyline I've had most of my life. And I'm, I'm getting over that because my girlfriend is a cook mm. um, and she's been teaching me how to cook and that I actually have a good sense of how to do that. Um, so that's another story. Uh, you know, so on and on, I've literally got about 10 of them that I've been drilling down into in the last year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's amazing because the stories that we tell ourselves we hold it, it, they hold a lot of power, you know, and we might even self-sabotage our own development from mm -hmm. fear of disowning the familiar story about ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. yeah well put. Mm -hmm. um, and that disowning ourselves is like whatever part of me wants to grow and yeah. um, is going to come up against stories that I cobbled together probably starting when i was a little kid um to keep us safe to maybe even to keep quiet or be even well behaved as a yeah. kid i think yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean i mean the fact is you know we're kind of a storytelling species you know we we make up stories to explain the world to us to explain mysteries to figure things out uh, to make sense of the world uh um you know kind of stencil you know footprints on the ground so we know how to dance around things and it makes sense that we create stories but then they they can end up turning on us especially the negative stories yeah. i think they can end up turning on us and holding us back when we want or need to grow that's right yeah it's almost so, like our, our own personal myth, isn't it? Our stories in some way, you well, know, with, with heroes and villains that we make up in our mind about <laughs> ourselves. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I'm a little, um, I'm a little leery of the term myth, mm -hmm. um, only because m most people tend to equate it with a falsehood, like, mm. oh, that's a myth. Um, and I think we think of stories as fiction. We yeah. think of, you know, the stories we tell ourselves, we think of fiction and we think of fiction as a falsehood. Um, and some of the stories we tell are falsehoods. That's right. Um, yeah. Cause I think when we allow like one story to dominate, we kind of avoid our common humanity and, and even our ability or our right to change. Mm. So tell me what, what, what stories come into your mind when you think of the stories I tell myself? Well, I think, some of the stories that I tell myself, a big one is I'm not a handy guy. Mm. You know, I'm not a handyman. And uh, that, that was because my father wasn't handyman. I never learned it. I got frustrated. But the reality of it is like, I, I like to be handy in some ways. I, I surprise myself. I just, I think maybe I, I should be, you know, go from 
uh, fixing a door to be a carpenter. And, and, and that's not a reality. So, you know, it's like, not, I, I don't paint because I want to make a Picasso for the first time. You know, it's ridiculous. So yeah. I think for me, you know, changing, really understanding that story that I've had a long time. And, and I think maybe it was when, you know, I tried to fix some things early on and maybe some friends made fun of me and I couldn't do that. Um, and I just kind of, you know, had that story going on and on, but the reality is that I can fixed. So, um, yeah, I, I, well, but I, I still carry that. Well, that's interesting because what you're, what you're saying there partly, I think is, um, that when you really look at the story, I'm not a handyman, you can think of exceptions to that. There are times when you've done it. There are times when you've done it well. There are things you've taught yourself. So there are, in other words, there are exceptions to the storyline. Mm -hmm. And I, I think some, there's something really important in that. It's just like just enough of a crack in the storyline, you know, to, to, to let in the shadow of a doubt, Yeah, you know, and, um, and I think that can really help you test the story and question the story and change it for that yeah, matter. Right. So it sounds like you got to ask yourself of any given story, especially the ones that you experience as holding yourself back. Yeah. It's like, is this true? And how true is it? Exactly. Exactly. How true is it? You know, one of my stories was always that I, I don't sing or I'm not a good singer. And that was a big reason why when I first met Rainbow, I sang some verses and she loved me singing. Mm. And she always thought that I had a, a good voice. But to me, it was singing a whole song, not just a verse. Yeah. But on my podcast, as you know, I like to sing some <laughs> verses and I get really good compliments on the verses. And part of me is like, well, you know, it's only a verse, but uh, I've, I've embraced that because I've changed mm. that story. Um, I like to sing a verse <laughs> or songs to myself, but I, I used to have that totally ingrained in me that, that I don't sing. I'm not a singer. And I think where that came from actually was when I was probably 10 years old, I loved to sing in front of the mirror. I had a little, you know, band, you know, fake band with a couple of buddies of mine, you know, holding the pencil, you know, as the, as the <laughs> microphone, that type of thing. And, uh, I was also uh, a good dancer and I was dancing at a bar mitzvah one time or a wedding and some choreographer was there and told my parents, you know, to bring me in the studio, Greg, I thought I was going in for singing lessons. I thought like I was going to learn to sing. So I remember being up at the, uh, the mirror, you know, the big dance mirror and Mr. Roberts was his name. The, the dance teacher started putting on one of my songs, the Archie Archie, you know, sugar, sugar, ah, oh, honey, honey. I, yeah. I, I was, so I'm moving my body, but I look at him and he, he comes next to me, moving his body. And I look at him and I said, well, where's the mic? And he looks at me, you know, and he gets a mic and I started singing in front. <laughs> But the next thing I know is I'm I'm enrolled in dance classes. There was it was there was no singing classes, huh. and I think in my head I thought, well, I guess I wasn't a good enough singer, so they just threw me oh, in the dance class. Wow, it's amazing how we latch onto those those yeah. memories. Yeah, 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 and and some of them are generational, aren't they? You know, stories that transmit across generations, so that children and grandchildren find themselves almost beholden to their parents and grandparents beliefs and experiences. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know, you know, what struck me is, you know, along the lines of that, the stories, not just being personal, but sort of multi-generational or even historical is um, uh, I'm thinking of the story that's called the Protestant work ethic. Hmm. And um, this is, I think I ran across this because of the callings work research that I was doing. I ran across this. The Protestant work ethic um, is pretty much glorified for hundreds of years now. This idea that poverty is punishment for laziness and incompetence mm. and material wealth and, you know, self-denying work is like going to put you in line to get the key to the cosmic washroom or something, you yeah. know, and, and this has probably done a lot of damage to a lot of people. And it's a storyline that is really nailed down into the culture 
um, yeah. even to this day. And there's one of those stories. So there, there are broader stories that just then are personal ones. There's cultural stories like that. There's racial stories, ethnic stories, gender mm -hmm. stories. And um, I mean, God, think of the storylines that are being challenged right now around systemic racism mm -hmm. or the Me Too movement. They're, they're challenging, I mean, millennia old stories of what, say, women are capable of yeah. or um, what uh, people of color are like. And, oh, my God, undoing those kind of stories. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Especially like, like you said, the gender stories, especially with with people and couples, how they just carry on that story within themselves. You know, even the aspect of providership, you know, you know mm. uh, of course, that's changing in many ways. But I know I had that in ingrained in me about take care of your family mm -hmm. it was always you know you're, you're you're the man you need to take care of the family work hard and the money will follow you know that kind right. of thing or you know you make your bed and you lie in it you know mm -hmm. I, I and and i think like how that intertwines in a relationship can be you know really detrimental to mm. yeah. yeah which is i think why with whatever stories are up in people's lives that you know is to really there was a guy i ran across um his name is dan mcadams he's a psychologist in what's called narrative psychology i never knew there was such a thing mm -hmm. and narrative psychology is kind of essentially helping people retell the story of their lives so that it's more positive and more supportive of who they are and he said and this is the word he used you have to interrogate those stories mm -hmm. you have to interrogate them um, kind of like what you were saying about a, a gender story that might be infesting or infecting your marriage, your relationship right. is really, um, interrogated. Where did it come from? What is, what are, what does it say? What are the rules of this storyline? You know, a big one that I hear with people that, uh, have affairs, one of the big stories that they really need to be interrogated. And I interrogate is <laughs> what she doesn't know won't hurt her. <laughs> you know, Whoa. right? I mean, that's a story that I have many clients that have affairs have that, mm. you know, and I, I have to go after that. I have to, like you said, interrogate <laughs> that really, you know, really, if she doesn't, what, what happens if she does know, will that hurt her? Not Ooh. knowing and how you are with her, does that hurt her? You know, like really, and, and some of what came to mind when you said that was some of Byron Katie's the work, mm. how she turns that around, right? Mm -hmm. Is this true? You know, you tell a story and you turn it around and you constantly ask, is this true? You know, those four questions. Right. Yeah. Is this true? And I remember another one was, how does this make you feel to tell when you, when you tell this story about yourself? Like, let's say it's a story. Um, I'm a victim Yeah. or I'm unworthy of love. Yeah. You know, some of those really core foundational wounded core, yeah, stories, core limiting beliefs. We call them right. Core yeah. limiting beliefs. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, how does it make you feel to apply that story to yourself? Um, and I think that's a really important question. Um, and imagine, I, I mean, some of the times when I hear the crappy self-talk that I direct at myself, I think, how would I feel if somebody else said that to me? Ooh, yeah. Um, they'd, be, they'd be out of your life probably. Yeah, that that's right. And yet, um, I'm, I'm entertaining it all the time in my head. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's, I think, part of interrogating it. You know, I'm, I um, remember when I, especially when I quit my job to be a freelance writer, I remember confronting the story, I can't afford it, which was a constant um, refrain in my head. I can't afford it. Whatever it was, I made a really a tragic number of business and life decisions that started and ended with that phrase. And what that was doing to me, I realized when I stopped and noticed how often I was hearing it in my head, what I noticed is what the, that, what that was doing was kind of grinding into my subconscious, a message of limitation. Yeah. that I'm imposing on myself limitation. Um, it's uh, kind of like surrendering my personal power to, uh, you know, money and time. Mm. And what was more accurate, I realized, was I won't afford it. 
You know, like I would rather spend my money on car repairs rather than getting a new computer. Right. Right. Or something like that. And that is a whole different storyline. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I, I would sometimes carry a hundred dollar bill in my wallet <laughs> and I would just do that for when I would have that thought, right. To hmm. something that was under a hundred dollars. I'm like, I can't afford that. And I went, wait a second, man. Yes, you can. You've got that hundred dollar bill right here. You can, but it, it should go to something else, but you, it's a choice now instead of, I can't well, afford it. Right. That's the key. That's the key is it's now a choice. I've given myself back my power. Hmm. And um, some of the research I've done around, um, you know, narrative psychology is that the people who tend to move past their self-limiting stories um, find ways of giving themselves what they call agency. Mm -hmm. In other words, the feeling of personal power and that you have some control over your life and you have choice, you know, and, you know, maybe it's uh, putting a hundred dollar bill in your wallet as a way to remind yourself that you've got some power. Yeah. Um, my case, it was just confronting the, I can't afford a thing and changing it to, I won't mm. afford it, which, you know, introduces the critical elements of, of choice and, yep. and personal power. But this thing about how we get out from under some of these stories is we have to retell them. Um, and, and in essential, what's the term they used, um, find a redemptive ending to the story a redemptive mm. ending. So one that um, uh, puts a positive spin on it, one mm -hmm. that makes you feel hopeful instead of despairing. Um, I remember when I lost my job at USA Today for a really long time, I stuck that story in the failure category. Yeah. And uh, it took me a long time to realize, and I think of it this way now, um, that failure, quote unquote, is exactly what set me up to, to have the motivation to quit my job as a reporter and become a freelance writer, which was a calling I'd heard for a half a decade. Mm. So that's retelling the story with a positive spin is um, it's not like I lost a job. I was a crappy employee. I'm not worthy, uh, blah, blah, blah. It's yeah, that sucked. That was hard. It felt like a failure. Um, and I went, you know, circle the drain for, a year with that one, but, and it set me up to be uh, a freelance writer, which was utterly life affirming. And so that story of failure was redeemed by seeing what I got out of it and seeing how it set me up for a breakthrough. It seems that in some of those stories, we, we cut, we, cut the book in half when we don't read the this the second part of the book <laughs> right huh. it's like what was that hmm. saying people don't get done only stakes get done you know it's like wait a second like <laughs> the story is not finished mm. you know if i only see it in that frame yes i can see myself as a failure but wait a second there's another chapter and, yeah and at, at, now that i see what's going on i can reframe that story now because there's more that I'm learning and growing and changing. I use, I love the word efficacy. You know, I tell people when you have mm. efficacy, that means that you have done something in the past that perhaps you can now do something similar now in the future. If you've bungee jumped, now you can maybe go ahead and skydive. You know, you, you've had some efficacy in the past. And that's a really good way to get out of some of the stories that I know that people use of how they are in, in, in relationships. Like they say, they say, I'm, I'm not a good talker. I can't talk. And they just spend the, the hour of me talking and I'm like, <laughs> well, you know, well, what is second? I, I really understand your life. You know, mm. I think that you, you just explained your life really well to me. And a lot of people just disregard yeah. even a positive affirmation because that story is just so ingrained. Yeah. I think part of the danger in these stories is that they don't allow in new evidence. They're so, they can often be so damn rigid that they don't allow in new evidence. Like um, the story, I don't sing. When you start doing podcasts and you sing and you get good feedback, you have to invite that, that new evidence in. Right. Um, otherwise it's for one thing. It's just bad science. <laughs> you know, to not let new evidence in and just, I'm going to stick to my theory. I don't care what the uh, actual results of my experiments are. Yeah. Um, we got to get out of that safety zone of, of that ingrained story that now there's a new story. Uh oh, a new story. Am I yeah. open to this new story? 
you know, do you, you, know do, uh, do you remember me telling you about this time that I paraglided on one of my vacations? Mm-hmm. This is a perfect example. I've um, one of my storylines, as long as, as I can remember, is I don't participate in any sport that involves the experience or the sensation of falling. Mm. Um, so that's bungee jumping, that's skydiving, that's hang gliding, that's I don't even like roller coasters. Mm. Um, so no sports that involve falling. Um, just I'm too scared. My my original nightmare as a child was falling. Mm. Not not from anywhere and not to anywhere, just the, the, the sensation of falling. Mm. So this is a really long-standing narrative in my life that I don't want to participate in the experience of falling. And then I'm on vacation and my girlfriend at the time says, hey, let's go paragliding. And I'm like, no, storyline says I don't do that. And then I sat on the beach one afternoon and watched uh, probably a hundred paragliders come off a mountain and land on a beach. And I watched through my binoculars for an, a good hour. And the scientist in me said, hmm, it looks like smooth sailing. Uh, landing on the beach looks like stepping off a curb. I'm good. I, on the spot, Prepo, I changed my story and my life because wow. I decided next tomorrow we're going paragliding. And my girlfriend said, really? But I thought, forget what I said. We're going paragliding. And the next day we did it. And it was literally one of the highs of my life. Mm. Um, and it was because I allowed in the new evidence that I collected on the beach that day before that this looks safe. And, uh, and I pushed through that storyline. So now I can no longer claim I have this story that I don't participate in sports that involve falling. Cause I do. Right. And and now that story is is null and void in you, right? Is what null and void? You don't do you do you now take more chances or think about the possibility of um, doing? Well, you know, null and void. Um, I can't say that I don't approach. You know, somebody suggested I actually it was Ross, my brother, suggested that I um, consider going uh, skydiving. Mm-hmm. So it's not like. The story is completely null and void. <laughs> yeah, you I have still to, feel a fear. You have to science it out. Make sure that the the odds are are in your favor. Oh my God, the science is. <laughs> I'm sure it's with it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's more dangerous to get into a car probably than to jump out of an airplane. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you don't box either because you'll you'll fall right on your ass a couple of times. That um, too, that's right? true. <laughs> no, I, I that's in one of my storylines. I I don't participate in any sport that involves getting smacked in the head. <laughs> That's a good story. Yeah. Right. You know, it's an interesting, an interesting story that um, I I think it's in line with us, but I do this a lot. And I think many people is, for instance, let's say, you know, this has happened probably between us. Like when, when a friend or a person doesn't return an email or a voice Mm. message for Mm. some weeks, man, do I fill in the blanks, you know? And most of the time, the stories aren't accurate at all all they're actually destructive that that they isolate and and actually damage my relationship inside my mind and i think they are a major contributor to like anxiety around that. so what story goes through your head when you don't get uh, an email back from somebody uh sometimes you know if if usually around an email that's more uh vulnerable and self-disclosing you know i might i might make a story like man i i can't believe that that they are, they're not even taking my heart in consideration at all. Mm. And they know how vulnerable I was and they're not even acknowledging that I wrote that. And then I start maybe making this up. Like, is this, is this a person that I really want in my life? You Mm. know, are they safe in my life? And then I find out, Hey man, like my email went down, you know, for two weeks or my computer didn't work, you know? And, and I'm like, wow, you know, like where that went as opposed to, Giving the benefit of the doubt, maybe their their computer went down, maybe their email went down. No, I went to, you know, that part of I'm not that I'm I'm not safe here because yeah. they didn't they didn't return my or gesture. Maybe I'm not worthy, or yeah, yeah, I'm not interesting enough, or right, um, I'm on the bottom of their totem pole in terms of priorities or something. Yeah, they forgot about me. Right. Yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah. So th- that is a great example because. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, we think of the you know, the stories we tell ourselves as something we've been hauling around since childhood, but um, these things may not be rooted in the past at all. I mean, hell, we're always we're always making up stories, aren't we? I and think theories so. about what we think is going on, you know, what what a friend meant by a, a remark or um, what someone's thinking or what an what what a news story tells me about the direction the world is headed or what a symptom means or. Uh, you know, we're just and, and constantly making up stories. Constantly. I mean, in my work, when I'm sitting with couples, I mean, it's happening all the time. Mm. Like I, what I see is like, they're relating more to the person in their head than the person that's right in front of them. They're not even right. Cause they're mm. making up this story. You don't care about me. You don't love me. You, you don't know how to give me what I need. Mm. And, and, and a lot of times it's based on a few experiences, but they don't really talk it out. And they're just playing this because I, I believe a thought process, a belief, pro, a belief is just a thought you think over and over and over again. If you want to change your belief, you just change another thought and think that over and over and over again. Mm. And, and a lot of times we do that in relationship over and over again, what we think about the other person. And we're not really relating to the real person that's right in front of us. Wow. But, the, but the image um, that we made up in my mind. Our mind yeah. About. Yeah. So we're. Right. We're not even in the present anymore. We're stuck in the past somewhere, mm -hmm. stuck in our heads around some story. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, a good example. Yeah. And I wonder in some ways, just we're making these stories for protection. If I know that this person is this certain way, then I'll know how to protect myself to not disclose or what discernment that I need instead of in some way jumping off the cliff and and just be authentic in the moment and mm. receive what we get and really in some way be curious and interested of who the person really is instead of that. I, what comes up to my mind really quick, I remember I was like 25 years old and my grandmother had in front of me, I came over her house and she had this big German chocolate cake. <laughs> and I looked at it and said, grandma, like, I, I, I don't like German chocolate cake. And she said, yes, you do. <laughs> I'm like, oh. grandma, I don't. Yes, you do. I'm like, grandma, I liked it when I was five years old. You know, I, I don't like it anymore. And she, she, I remember her looking at me like, no, you don't know what you're talking about. You like wow. German chocolate cake. And, and that's, I think a little bit, you know, and a, and a microcosm of sometimes how we have these ingrained thoughts about people. You liked this before. Now you don't. That shakes my world now. Oh my you know? God. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Or people, you know, uh, I, I, I uh, have a lot of compassion for people that I sit with some women around their sexuality when they, hmm. you know, have said that they had, they haven't felt themselves and, and it had, haven't felt their sexual life, their sexual self, they haven't actualized. And the story that they tell themselves, I'm not a sexual being, I'm not a sexual being, whether it came from religion or it came mm. from, you know, old partners, I think. And it is so beautiful when a person then explores that part of themselves and they change that story, how that changes mm. within themselves. And of course their relationship. Mm. Yeah. yeah. That's why I guess I was saying earlier that um, it's really important to separate fact from fiction mm. um, in terms of some of these stories. Like, I mean, in the, in the most basic sense, I think, um, the story, my parents divorced when I was nine, might be a fact. It is a fact in my particular case, but it's my fault mm. is a fiction. Right. You know, my father was critical and emotionally absent. I mean, that, that's a story that might be a true story, but I'm unworthy of love is a false story. You know, same, same with there ain't no town big enough for the two of us might have been true once, but isn't anymore. So there's something about just doing that kind of basic pick and shovel work of separating fact from fiction um, is really important because it's devastating what people do to themselves under the heading of the story of um, I'm unworthy of love. Yeah. You know, just because it either takes you in toward, you know, depression or maybe it's opposite, like grandiosity or something. Mm -hmm. um, but it just seems really important to make those distinctions. Yeah. Yeah. 
I see you know, it too when people are even talking about, um, uh, I'm not a good communicator. You know, mm. they, they, they say that over and over again, like I said before about people that talk, but they have that in them that then they don't take the chances. They don't go ahead and, you know, be out on the limb with just their truth because they've been shut down about it. And they've been told that they're not a good communicator. Many times the people that say they're not a good communicator when they're given the time and not interrupted and really given the space, I'm blown away by how they communicate. Mm. But they allow other people to take over, to talk over them, to interrupt. And then, of course, they think that they're not a good communicator. Yeah. So yeah. can you think of a story that you tell yourself in present time that holds you back from something or makes you feel less than? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, well, I think present time and you know, this one, um, about me with musical instruments, you know, mm. uh, I, I get all excited about a musical instrument. I try it a little bit and then I say, no, I can't play it. And just the other day, the, the guitar was out front and Rainbow says, go, go play the guitar. I love hearing the sounds mm. that you play. I'm like, honey, I don't play the guitar. She goes, what are you talking about? I said, I play this one little kind of tune that I keep doing that I made up. She goes, will you play the guitar? And, <laughs> and, and I remember thinking, yeah, I guess I do, but I don't do, I don't do it the way I think that I should. Yeah. So I know that that's, that's a current one that's, that's on, you know, cause I look at other people and I look at why the hell does that person play the guitar? And I don't, you know, mm -hmm. I, I do this in my, well, one reason people is that person practice and practice and practice, <laughs> you know, they uh -huh. just didn't pick it up. Cause I'm kind of used to a little bit of things like with sports or dance, like, you know, I'm pretty good at like first shot, go at it. Like, whoa, I'm pretty good at it. When, yeah. I, when I try something that I'm not so good at, Ooh, it's kind of like, ah, yeah. that, but you know, that, that's, that's interesting. the story. The, the input from your wife is yeah. seems like a really critical part of um, interrogating the story yes. is look at it through somebody else's eyes. Hmm. You know, uh, that seems like actually a pretty useful tactic for people is um, this story is just rolls around in my head, like a pinball. It's just always going on in there what does the story look like from somebody else's perspective, a partner, a friend, a th for that matter, a therapist? Um, yeah. That could, that seems like it might be a kind of a useful path out of some of the stories is um, how does it look through somebody else's eyes? Would they say the story that you tell yourself? Would they say, and apparently in this case, she doesn't. All right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I get surprised by that sometimes when people, will question when I question myself and, and some self-doubt in some areas, they kind of look at me confused. I'm like, I don't see you like that. Hmm. I, I, that's not how I see you. Hmm. That's, that's reassuring, but it's also a question of like, hmm, wow, why do I see myself like that? Am I playing, you know, some story over and over again? You know, <laughs> like my baseball story about when I, when I stopped playing baseball in college, one of the, one uh, incident that happened was I, I, overthrew the second baseman two runs scored we ended up losing the game mm. i got benched for for some games and that that vision like stays with me of 21 years of playing baseball oh. you know it's like come on people like you know you are all state baseball player blah 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 and that's the story that that plays the loop wow. you know so i think that that's a good lesson for me of like really watching what loop that I'm allowing to play and I'm not looking at the other lens of the rest of the, the story. Mm. Yeah. Why do we do that? Why is this, mm. this, this focus on the negative that so outweighs the positive? Mm. I, I do this with evaluations. I'll get evaluations back at the end of a class and it'll be like 97 people said it was great. Three people said it wasn't. And that's what I focus on. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So self-defeating. Yeah. Why do we? Why do you think we do that? Well, I mean, I. Uh, why do we do that? You know, there's there's sort of a almost an anthropological answer to the question, which is we spent a lot more time in our evolutionary history focusing on danger rather than pleasure, because exactly. that's what got us kind of through the evolutionary maze intact. Mm -hmm. You know, is um, it makes sense to focus on the danger, not the pleasure. Um, right. And maybe that kind of got stuck in the on position. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, that's so true. Because that's why I tell couples around when they're really focused on judgment and negativity, that's what they're doing. They're scanning the environment of their relationship for that danger mm. instead of creating a new habit and scanning the environment of what's working, what they're appreciative about. And just like we're saying, it's like change the story. So many people have, especially in their relationships, they have a story about their relationship mm. and they're not changing the story. They're not looking at other aspects of it. Sometimes I think, I know for me, sometimes if I change the story, I'm afraid that I'm going to, I call it go splat. Like if I get too excited about something and it doesn't work out, oh man, that disappointment is worse than mm. the the act of of experiencing it. That try and go and splat, I don't want to experience that. So maybe I won't even do that. Mm. Yeah. That's a hell of a way to live sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm. But I think it's so important to just for myself, just to up-level my awareness of the self-talk. Yeah. That just seems so important. It's like, what do you hear when you turn on that receiver? What, you know, it's like our parents used to say, watch your language, yeah. <laughs> you know, watch mm -hmm. my language, Greg. What is, what do I tell myself? What is the tone of voice I use, you know, when I talk to myself? Um, and, you know, how would I feel if somebody else was saying it in that tone of voice to me? Yeah. Um because what that says is it's kind of harsh. When, when we call ourselves, we say, you idiot, we say in our mind, that's yeah. stupid, right? Ooh, if somebody's called me that, ah, yeah. that would hurt so much. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there's just something, um, it's, it's both enlightening and a little depressing sometimes to listen in at that level where I, um, I kind of have, have a part of my consciousness that stands off to the side and observes the way that I talk to myself. And, um, and I think that, but I think that's part of kind of unlatching myself from some of these stories is uh, just to start to be aware of what I say to myself, how I speak to myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember when you got divorced um, in your 20 year marriage. And in the years after that, you were having a lot of beautiful insights and learnings and you were doing some writings. And I remember saying to you, man, you're getting like such good insight and such good writings. You need, you should write like a relationship book. And you were like, always going, <laughs> just, you would roll your eyes and go, no way, not me. You know? Right. And I was like, you know, it's like, wow, that story of whatever it is that, that you had in the moment. I was like, no, man, you, you're you know how to do relationship in the in in the way that we were relating and the way that you want to relate and the way that you're learning how to relate differently and that, that that's mm. the part that i remember you know thinking to myself of yeah how how ingrained sometimes where we say how who am i who am i to be exactly blah, 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 right yeah who am i yeah um yeah I, that's i appreciate you remembering that um mm. that's uh that's another one of those examples, sort of like your baseball story, I think, where I'm saying that, who am I to write about relationships based on the fact that I had a, quote, failed marriage, unquote. Mm -hmm. I remember leveling that accusation of my mother once when I was uh, pissed at her at something. I said, so mom, how does it feel to have two failed marriages? <laughs> <laughs> How old were you when you said that? Oh, I'm going to guess my twenties. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, she, to her credit, she said failed. They weren't failures. I learned a lot from both of them. Wow. And wow. there's a perfect example of that redemptive ending. Right. <laughs> you know, she didn't see it that way. I learned a lot from both of them. Um, but here I am judging myself that I'm in, incompetent to write about relationships because I had a failed marriage. You know, there's lots of ways of spinning that where I would have come out on top instead of on, on the bottom. Like, wow, you had a 20 year marriage. Yeah. Congratulations. I remember complaining once to a, a meditation teacher that I, I said, I suck at meditation. And actually I held that storyline for years, even while I was meditating. And he asked me a little bit about my practice. And I told him, you know, I was like, oh, sometimes I'll, I'll manage to get a whole 10 seconds of, you know, and I, I was saying it sarcastically, but he said, wow, 10 seconds? 
<laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, well, there's another way of looking at the story. Yeah. It's like uh, 10 seconds of peace and equanimity. Wow. Right. Um, yeah. Wasn't there a story, something about with Ram Das when he was leaving his guru or something, and he said he wasn't ready because, you know, he has so, so many imperfections and, and the guru started walking around him, looking at him up and down, up and down <laughs> five minutes. And he said, I see no imperfection. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm. Wow. Well, maybe that's wow. why it's good, you know, to gently submit yourself to therapy or um, mindfulness practice or, you know, some way that we can kind of interrupt that negative self-talk and those um, self-defeating storylines that we have um, just to insert another point of view into it. Cause we're, we're just entranced that these stories are like trances and it's not like we tell stories that stories also tell us, you know, mm -hmm. they tell us who we think we are yeah. and how we're supposed to live. And, and, you know, we often get the story wrong. Yeah. And we do, and do we dare to change it? I love that how you said that. You know, really question it. Do we dare to change? First, we have to know the stories, and then do we dare to change it? Yeah, and dare is a good word because you're not going to dismantle these long-standing foundational stories, especially without some blowback. And you're going to have to tell a new story, you know, a dozen or a hundred times before it, it takes hold. And you start to actually believe it. It's, you know, it's not a flip a switch kind of a thing. Yeah. You know, it's like, I remember this, this line from Mark Twain. He said, habit is habit. It's not meant to be flung out the window. It's meant to be coaxed downstairs one step at a time. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not going to edit out these stories just by clicking my heels. Yeah. Um, and I just think it's important to have compassion for myself and realize these stories have been rattling around in there for much of my life. Some of them um, have some patience, yeah. you know, and that, that's um, a good one. Have patience and compassion yeah. for ourselves. Yeah. Any, any current story that, that you're working on? I mean, you told that, but is there anyone that you really want to change that you're in the process of doing that? Hmm. Um, hmm. Let's see. Well, you know, it's ironic that you brought it up is this one about um, who am I to write pieces about relationship? Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's actually up for me because I find that in the last year or two, partly from being back in relationship with a capital R again, and partly as a result of the pandemic and maybe just this developmental point in my life, um, what I perceive the world is in need of hearing about. I'm, I'm writing about relationship issues um, more than I used to anyway. Um, and I say that with a tip of the hat to the fact that I started off my career that way. I was the singles columnist for a newspaper. So when I tell myself, who am I to write about relationships? It's like, Greg, hello. Mm -hmm. You started off your career as a relationship writer. <laughs> It's what you did. Yeah. And I had a singles column at the paper for five years. And then they, they morphed it into a, what they called the self column. Hmm. So um, part of it is back up for me again, because I often find that I'm writing about those kinds of interpersonal issues and I'm constantly hearing a little bit of grinding gears. Cause I still have this voice in me that says, who am I? Hmm. Um, a theologian friend of mine who says, that's the same thing Moses said when God uh -huh. said, I, I've got a little task for you. You need to lead <laughs> my people out of Egypt. <laughs> Literally, that is what he said in the Bible. Who am I to do this thing? All right. Uh, you got the wrong guy. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, that that's kind of- You are the me. one that you are waiting for. Ooh, I like that. What's yeah. that from? I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah. it's just more of that- that movement of who, you know, we're waiting for other people to, to save us, to be the heroes, to, to lead the march. You know, yeah. we are the ones that we're oh, waiting interesting. for. Interesting. Yeah. And, you know, I also want to just um, 
acknowledge to myself around changing these storylines is that the point for me isn't to like manufacture a happy ending. You know, let's let's turn that sad story into a glad story. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean that's that's great in itself as as a end point, but this isn't about just kind of creating a happy ending. Um, but it is to try to emphasize the positive more yeah. and to be aware of my self-talk and to shift it toward the redemptive, shift it toward the, um, you know, I like your word, efficacy, yeah. um, so that I'm operating in the world with more of that. Mm, that's um, wonderful. That's and, wonderful. Um, you know, just challenging the stories that hold me back. That's a lot of what all the stories that I've identified in the last two years are about. There are stories that I've come up against that are holding me back from wanting to grow into um you know, uh, I heard this wonderful phrase recently, the lure of becoming. Mm. I can't remember who said it, but um, that speaks to me, is that there's always this part of the soul, I think, that um, um, goes for the lure of becoming, not what we were, but what we want to become. And I'm just noticing that these stories are a big part of what's in the way. And I, and I want to honor them. I mean, I came up with these stories obviously for some good survival reasons, they helped explain things. They, I don't know, they gave me some ground at some point, but they no longer serve me. That's right. Yep. Give it another job description. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Wow. So, and you know, it's just important for me to remember, um, you know, I'm not just the, the protagonist of the story hell, I'm the narrator. I'm in charge of the stories. So there's that efficacy and agency piece again is I have power to change the stories. I wrote them, many of them anyway, or I perpetuate them. Obviously, there are other forces that come into play in terms of creating the stories, like we were talking about the gender or the racial or the um, those kind of things. But um, I'm the narrator. And 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 I'm in charge of the story, and I think that's just important for me to remember. I I have choice and I have power about how those stories continue to unfold. Like lucid storytelling instead of lucid dreaming. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a really good analogy, actually. Mm. You're going down in there, and um, and changing the story as it's unfolding. Yeah, actually, that's a really good analogy. Yeah, you can use it. You can write about that. <laughs> Well, I uh, I want to encourage you to to and support you in changing your stories any way that that, that I can, and and mm. I w- want to solicit you to also challenge me to to chat to change my stories mm. and to and to inquire into my unconscious stories. Mm. I, I yeah I, I I throw that out as as a as a challenge or. Invitation. Um, yeah, invitation in our relationship. <laughs> yeah, that's a better word. Invitation. Yeah. Although I'm I I I don't shy away from the challenge word too. That's yeah, you know, um I, I know that at some point in my life I switched from going to therapists who were the um they're their types to the ones who would hold my feet to the fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and I remember one of them who happens to live there in Asheville. Um, when I told him one of my favorite sob stories of my family of origin, um, well-practiced story, he, and I finish, I wrap it up and he looks at me and he looks at me some more and he says, so how many times have you told that story? <laughs> and how many times are you going to continue to tell it? Yeah, and he said, I've heard it about 10 times so far. So you must've told a lot of times. Yeah. <laughs> Mm, and yeah. uh and it was like you know that was a challenge and i i appreciated um i had another therapist back in santa fe say to me once uh i don't even remember what i was sharing with him but he said to me and i literally i quote verbatim he said greg with all due respect that's bullshit mm. and i loved that moment that he said that to me i just loved um, the challenge of it is like, let's, let's cut through enough yeah. of um, telling the same old story over and over again. And with the same conclusions, let's move through. So anyway, love long it. way of saying thank you. Yeah. Love it. Let's do it. <laughs> cool.
Thank you so much, brother. This was great. Yeah. I love that exploration. Yeah. It's a good one to have. It's yep. a really good one to have. Yeah. Cool. All right, baby. We'll do this again. Yes, and we and we're going to get to see each other in a couple months. Oh, I look forward to that. Yeah. Baby. All right, man. Thank yeah. you so much. You're welcome. Yeah. All right. Hey, everybody. Before I let you go, I'm going to tell you more about the workshop that I mentioned earlier. This is a workshop that I've been doing for about 10 years for couples. The power of appreciation, the key to a deeper connection. And this is going to be the first online Zoom live version of the workshop for couples. And I'm offering it on two different dates for you to choose. Sunday, October 24th from 1 to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time or Saturday, November 6th. 1 to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm really excited about this workshop because as you know, I mentioned how much appreciation is such a key to so many aspects of a successful and thriving relationship. I have never experienced anything more powerful in my 26-year relationship and the work that I do as a couples therapist. You know, because so many people we are either way out of practice of doing appreciations or we have never learned the art of appreciation. It wasn't modeled in our families. We never did any coursework about it. So it is a learned skill that will benefit your relationship and your family tremendously. So I'm limiting each workshop to about 15 couples. You can go to my website, prepo.com click on the relationships let's learn about a page and the online workshop section it would give you more details about it and you can register right there and in the mode of my appreciation practice i want to give a couple appreciation shout outs to some recent donors to my podcast i'd like to thank georgia in Wisconsin and Stefan in Germany. Thank you so much for your recent donations. It's such a great help with your listener support, your financial support, with you spreading the word of the podcast around so that many people get to listen to it and benefit from it. I so appreciate it. So if you are inclined to support the podcast financially, you can go to prepo.com Click on support the podcast page and leave a one-time or reoccurring donation. Thank you so much. And before I end, I just want to get out that we all know it's getting crazy out there in many different ways. You know, we're losing patience. There's a lot of fear and anxiety of what the world's going to look like. Are we ever going to get back to normal? And there's a division coming up in people. Even though everybody's doing the best that they know how and the decisions for their own self, their own well-being, their own freedom and autonomy, we need more tolerance for each other, choices that we're making for our medical freedoms and our medical health. So please, let's not fight with one another. Let's really try to understand each other. So a song is coming to my mind by Seal. There's no reason for you to lose your mind Cause I've seen something that's gonna change our time If I could I'd make you understand If I could I'd make you understand There's no hurry It's gonna come for sure Cause I know that someday We're gonna end our war if I could, 
I'd make you understand mm-hmm. If I could I'd make you understand Yeah, everybody Let's just understand each other mm-hmm. Make yourselves a beautiful day Relationships, Let's Talk About It, is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more about licensed counselor Prebo Teplitsky, visit prebo.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling or therapy, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice.